Good morning, church. On this Lord's Day, we have just been singing about this passage. This is Hebrews 6, 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. The Holy of Holies, where Christ has gone, the blood has covered us of our sin, and that we rejoice. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have an anchor, and his name is Jesus. We thank you for the glory of our salvation through the work of the cross. And we this morning now pray that you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would teach us and preserve us and keep us strong as we find fresh refuge in you. So bless this time where the word is opened and apply the scripture to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Blaise Pascal, the well-known French mathematician and celebrated intellect from the 1600s, said the following, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war or others avoiding it is the same. It is attended with different views, but they will never take the least step to any object unless they perceive that happiness is involved. Happiness. The larger catechism, first question says, what is the chief end of man or the reason for man's existence? And here's the answer. We are to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Happiness. Joy. The next couple of three weeks, I want to speak to you from what is called the Golden Psalm, Psalm 16. And the theme is how to be people who awaken and maintain our happiness, our joy out of Psalm 16. So today, as we think about this psalm, the, the conclusion of the psalm is in the last verse of the psalm, which is verse 11, that says this, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy, happiness, purpose, fulfillment. Uh, we're called to this. One modern-day thinker, John Piper, said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In him. So this morning we're going to be in Psalm 16, the first three verses. I'm going to talk to you about three ways to maintain your happiness. Hear the word of the Lord. David writes in this golden psalm, Preserve me, O God, for in you I find refuge. I will say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints that are in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Three steps. Number one, David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I find refuge. The, the word for preserve means to guard, to watch over, to 
Guide is, is a statement of dependence upon the Lord, for in you I take refuge. See, the, the, the first verse is a, a, a statement of my dependence upon the Lord. I need thee every hour. Every hour I need thee, the hymnist says. I need you every hour. Second Chronicles tells a story of a godly king named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, and he hears some advanced Couriers who come in and they say, oh, great king, there is a vast army whom no man can number who is approaching your capital city, Jerusalem, to destroy your kingdom. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, then Jehoshaphat, when he heard this, was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. And all of Judah assembled to seek help from Jehovah. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord God. And then this is what Jehoshaphat said in essence. Verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on these our adversaries? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Here's Jehoshaphat. He didn't say, I'm the king. I've been on the throne for a couple of decades. I've got it together. My father was Asa. We've lived in prosperity and peace. We can do this. Just think positively and let's beat them. No, he says, you know, we, we can't do this. He says, you're God, you're glorious, you're great, you're good, and our eyes are on you. It is a statement of dependence upon the Lord, of, of humble, broken dependence upon the God who blesses his people. But we live in an age that's marked by a poem that my son reminded me of a week ago as we were talking. It's a poem entitled Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Invictus is Latin for unconquerable. And, and in this poem, Henley, who had a very difficult life. He was a lifelong sufferer from tuberculosis. He lost a leg through amputation. He had one daughter that he delighted in who died when she was four and a half. And, and so he, was, he had a difficult life. But he wrote this poem that has been celebrated um, in, throughout the Western world, but, but I believe is really a, a shake your fist in the face of God poem. It goes like this, the first stanza. Out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul, Invictus. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is, is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horrors of the shade. Stop, there's no hope of heaven, just the horrors of the shade. There's nothing there. And yet the menace of the years finds me and shall find me unafraid. And then the last stanza, which should be on the screen now. It matters not how straight the gate. Stop. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about the straight gate. So, so it's a denial of what Jesus says. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scrolls. Scrolls, a record of my deeds that I'll give to God. I am the master of my fate and I am the captain of my soul. And if that, if that is the cry of your heart, and that's the cry that our culture purports, you'll never get to the gospel of grace. You'll never taste the sweetness of Jesus. So David, this great king, says, 
preserve me, O God. God, unless you preserve me, unless you keep me, I can't pull it off. Listen to these words, Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So, so you say, well, how do I get rest? Well, you take on the yoke of Jesus. You declare your dependence upon Jesus. You declare that without him, you can't pull it off. Or Psalm 16, verse 8, in this passage, the, the psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. It's a statement of dependence. Or Psalm 62, verse 1 says this, says, find strength or for, for God alone my soul awaits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Or Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. So I, I could just go on and on and on, promise after promise after promise. So if, if I'm going to taste the happiness of Jesus, I must declare my dependence on him every day. The Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Look at the life of Paul. When you look at Paul in the New Testament, he, he went from really a, a very self-defined, I would say arrogant Pharisee to a broken, joyful believer in Jesus. He says in an autobiographical sketch, he said, I was faultless when it came to observing the law. When it came to legalistic righteousness, I exceeded everybody. Now, that's, that's a pride. That's pride. Everybody says, well, once I came to know Jesus, all that was nothing more than garbage. And then he says, but may it never be, in Galatians 6, that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus. And one of the last things he writes biographically is Paul, the chief of all sinners. So you, you go from arrogant pride and of self-made man, a legalistic, um, impeccable God to a guy that's just gloriously broken before the reality of Jesus. Uh, so so I, I look at this and I say, that's who we should be. And then when he's reflecting on a wonderful passage about how, brings, how God brings salvation, he says in, in Romans 9 in verse 16, he says, as, as I've thought about this, I've come to realize it doesn't depend upon man and what man does. It depends upon the God who gives mercy to those he loves. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but it depends on God who has mercy. That's the statement of a man who's daily dependent upon the Lord. And he says this, he says, find or, or preserve my soul, O Lord, for in you I find and take refuge. Refuge means strength and protection. I find refuge in Christ. I find refuge in the glory and goodness of God. This is the first step to happiness. I need that. So I thought about this in this time of incredible upset in our country. And it is a time uh, where we should be very prayerful. A time when uh, I was thinking about this for several days and then someone read a, wrote an editorial in the Wall Street Journal that really was in, had been inside my head. I was thinking that as a young child, young boy, 
1968 was a year of incredible upset. 1968, Dr. King was assassinated. Senator Kennedy is assassinated. There's pushback in the Vietnam War, the 68 Democratic National Convention. I remember watching it in Chicago. They had riots in the streets and there was all types of uproar and people really screaming at each other in the convention itself. It was a time of of hurt and anguish. The cities across America were burning. And this man wrote an editorial and said, and I was a student at Northwestern University in 1968, and I remember driving to class and seeing part of Chicago burning. And I remember thinking it could never get worse than this. And he said, and it hasn't for 52 years, but now it's that bad. And I think he's right. He said, a, a pandemic, economic uncertainty, and now incredible racial unrest. He said, and he said this, I fear for the future of my country. And I agree, it's a time for us to be prayerful. It's a time for us to, to go out and, and say, God, make me a change agent. And I thought about a book I read 20 years ago by a man named Ralph David Abernathy, who was Dr. King's chief assistant in the civil rights movement. He was an ordained Baptist minister and was faithful to the things of the Lord. And, and he wrote a book entitled, And the Walls Came Tumbling Down. And in it, he gave an overview of the civil rights movement, and he celebrated the fact that segregation was no more, that there was opportunity in the land now because the walls have come tumbling down. And yet we look around, and every generation tries to build walls. Walls of racial superiority, walls of indifference, walls of apathy, and the church is called to be change agents as we cry out, Lord, preserve me as I find refuge in you. And I would ask you this, church, that we take steps into the light in obedience to Jesus. And I've, I've been thinking about these things and they've been on my brain. And I, 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 I always go back to Colossians 3 when I'm thinking about nations and ethnicities and groups and socioeconomic strata, whatever. In, in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul is just thundering. And he says, he says in verse 10, he says, he says he's been talking about putting, getting away with sin and putting away these things because the wrath of God is coming. But then he says, and, and, and you should put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, verse 11, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And I wish to say it loudly, here in this church, there's no right and wrong as far as ethnicities or economics or educational values because we are all one under the cross of Christ where he bled for our sins and gave his life for our wholeness. We need to say in our homes to each other, whether we're single, a group, or married and family. Here, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. Our primary identity is found in Jesus. And we, we celebrate ethnicities. We celebrate backgrounds. We celebrate familial histories. But they are a distant second to who Jesus is. And so, so as, as, I, as I think about this, this is who we should be. And so I say to you, find fresh refuge in Christ as you cry out, Lord, I need you. I read a book this week. It was a pretty good book called Essentialism by a guy named Greg McAllen, who's a Brit who came here and 
did his graduate work at Stanford and he stayed. And this book is about, uh, it's a really very readable book, New York Times bestseller. It's about how to marshal your energy to accomplish uh, what you're really wired to accomplish. And he says, we have so many times when we just put our energy here, here, and here, and our energy shouldn't go there. But he says, try to be laser focused. And it's a good book. As these books go, it's a good book. But it has a chapter on the importance of centering, which is, I know, an important or a, a, a trendy word. But he talks about centering. He says we need to think well. And let me read you what he says. He says, one practice I found useful is simply to read something from classic literature, not a blog, not a newspaper, or the latest beach novel, for the first 20 minutes of my day. Not only does this squash my previous tendency to check my email as soon as I wake up, but it centers my day. It broadens my perspective and reminds me of themes and ideas that are essential enough to have withstood the test of time. And then he lists a number of books that we should read, potentially part of the Western canon or the accepted canon. And he says, I have read such books as, and he mentions the Bible, but he says, Zen, the reason of unreason, the wisdom of Confucius, the meaning of life, the essential Gandhi, the life in the woods by, by Thoreau, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. And I thought, I've, I've read some, I've read a little bit of Marcus Aurelius. I've, I've read a good bit of Gandhi. I haven't read Zen, the reason of unreason, which makes no sense, but that's beside the point. Uh, but, 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 but brothers and sisters, this is the book that changes us. Now, I love literature and I love other books, but I've got to be immersed in and meditating in this book and crying out, Lord, please, by your spirit, renew me in knowledge after the image of my creator. Renew me as I think and ponder and meditate because I cry out this, my first step to happiness. Preserve me, O Lord, O God, for I find refuge in you. Point two is this. He says, I will say to the Lord, O Lord, I have no good apart from you. No good apart from you. It's, it's, to me, it's a declaration of the pursuit of joy. He says, says I have found that Christ is Joel 2.13, the fountain of living water. He is the fountain of joy and peace and happiness. He is the gospel state. He is the pearl of great price. Therefore, let me say very loudly and very clearly, Lord, you must preserve me, but also let me say, I have no good apart from you, that, that everything flows from you. Everything is given by you. Therefore, I have no good apart from you. Charles Spurgeon, Baptist preacher, London, the late mid to late 1800s, said this. He says, the gospel is like wine which makes us glad. Let a man truly know the grace of the Lord Jesus and he'll be a happy man. This virgin had his ups and downs. He's not talking about a slipshod happiness, but a deep resounding joy that's happy. He says, you cannot help, help thinking. Listen, I love this. You cannot help thinking as you see everything around you that God has diligently with the most strict attention sought ways of pleasing man. He has not given us our absolute necessities. He's given us so much more. 
Not simply the useful, but even the ornamental, the flowers, the stars, the trees, the hills, the valleys. All these things were intended not merely because we needed them, but because God would have us know that he loves us and that we should be happy. Now, no, now it is not likely that the God who made a happy world would send us a, a miserable salvation. He who is a happy creator will be a happy redeemer. I like that. In other words, this is a declaration of, of, of our joy. I have no good apart from you. I found the fountain of living waters. In the book of James, James talks is, is warning people uh, about uh, evil and sin. And, and this is what he says in chapter one. He says, everyone falls into sin when they're led astray by their impure desires. He says, we were tempted, we fall into sin. And then he says this, but, but don't be deceived. My beloved brothers, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. And he, he says, there is evil and you can fall into sin. But when you look around, every good and perfect gift comes from above. See, see when, when the psalmist says here, I have no good apart from you, it is a declaration of joy. I found in him joy and peace and purpose. Behold the glory of the cross. That's why there's a little line in the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis where he talks about the evil of the devil and God's desire. And he, and he's, he says this, that, that the devil wants cattle that he can consume. But he says, but the father wants servants who can finally become his sons. Remember, there's an evilness out there. There's a darkness out there. There is something that wants to weigh you down. But God is a giver of life. And, and then he says this. And this is so good. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, excellent means noble, honorable, praiseworthy. As for the believers in the land, they are the praiseworthy, honorable, noble people in whom is all my delight. And the word for delight doesn't mean, yeah, I kind of like them or they're okay on a, on a rainy day. The word for delight is the same word that's used in Psalm 1 verse 2 where the scripture says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he will meditate day and night. So it, it, means, it means full embrace. It means confidence. It means joy. So, so excellent ones in whom is all my joy and confidence and hope and, 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 and celebration. It's, it's, a, it's a strong word. So, so the third step to be happy is to be with people who love the Lord and encourage me and walk with me and celebrate with me. I love the people of God. I am so tired of COVID-19 that I could, I won't finish that sentence. I, I'm just tired of it because I love the people of God. One of my favorite writers, I told people several times, a guy named Jason Gabe in the Wall Street Journal. And he said this three weeks ago, he said, I'm in Manhattan and I have friends who, are, who I would consider to be pretty severe introverts and they're standing out on their balcony screaming, enough already. And, and you know, if that's the way they're feeling, I, I'm really, I'm tired. I'm tired of this because I love the people of God. I like to be with them. Most of them, but I do. 
Last night, I went to a wedding with my wife. I didn't do the wedding. I just went. And two young people getting married in the Lord. I saw families that are walking with the Lord, where there's a celebration afterwards. Uh, there wasn't any hugging and kissing, but there was not a lot of social distancing. People were glad to be with each other. And I thought, man, I am so ready for this. I, 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 because I love to be with God's people. And that's something the Holy Spirit put in us. God made you in his image. God is a community. This is Trinity Sunday. God is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever. And he made you in his image. And so part of being a child of God, part of being a human being is you long for community. But when you come to know Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, there, that, that love for community is, is put on steroids. And so the psalmist says, a key here is, is to be with the people of God and to be part of the church and to receive and be encouraged and to serve and to give. That's what we're called to do. In Hebrews chapter 3, there is a statement about uh, continuing in the faith Chapter 3, verse 7 begins the section, and the writer of Hebrews says, Remember the children of Israel, the co God's covenant people, the Old Testament. He said how, how, how these people hardened their hearts, and how these people rebelled and tested the Lord, and how they provoked the living God. And so for 40 years they wandered in the desert until a whole generation had died out. And then he makes this thundering application. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So it says, guard your hearts. Take care, dear brothers, that you don't have this evil, unbelieving heart. And then he says, in part, this is how it's accomplished, verse 13. But... Encourage one another day after day, as long you, as you can still say today, lest anyone be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin promises everything and gives you nothing. It's deceitful. So you, you, said you, you hang out with people who treasure Jesus and who understand that there is a evil force that wants to drink you down and he'll promise you the moon and the stars and he'll give you nothing but the garbage dump and remind each other of that and walk with each other and, and, and know that and, and, and declare that to each other. So I want you to be happy people. There's a guy named C. John Miller whom I dearly love. One of his books is my top 10 books called The Heart of a Servant Leader. He's a professor at Westminster Seminary, and he goes to a country in Africa, and he plants his life as a missionary in his latter years. And he said, as we planted our life, my wife and I walked up and down the streets of this city, and we practiced being kind and smiling <laughs> because we knew that the gospel of grace will receive a hearing when people see that we are satisfied in Jesus. So I want you to be satisfied in Jesus so that you can speak the gospel to your neighbors and your family and your contemporaries as we're change agents in the world. 
And, and, and we can do that in part as we go through this psalm. As we say, daily dependence, preserve me, O God, I find fresh refuge in you. We, we can do that as we understand that, that, that we have found in him the fountain of all life. And we can do that as we are encouraged and exhorted and built up by brothers and sisters around us. And, and that involves knowing and walking with each other, but also involves knowing people enough so they can exhort you and correct you and encourage you day after day. We're going to sing uh, a song in the closing. Let me just read part of the first stanza to you. It's entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. This is their ultimate confidence. When I fear my faith will fall, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. Amen. But he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. That's what David says here. Preserve me. Preserve me, O oh God, for in you I find my refuge. I'm going to pray in a minute, but let me just say, church, that we, uh, I'm, I'm really ready to meet. I'm really ready to be with the people of God. And we have had a committee that's been working on when to meet and been strategically thinking. So we've come with a date, and we're going to do it incrementally by introducing various elements. But uh, the, the first opening date of grand celebration will be the 5th of July, between now and 5 July. And I was ready to do it three weeks ago, but wiser heads say don't, that said don't do it. So between now and the 5th of July, what we're saying, we're going to ask you to do is, is call people and start meeting in small groups. People from your community group, people from your neighborhood, and just do that for a few weeks. But on the 5th of July, there'll be many details coming. We're going to start meeting again. And Again, I, I look forward to that. It, it is a glorious thing. So thanks be to God for the privilege of being in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we, first of all, thank you, as we're going to sing in a minute, that you hold us fast. We thank you that even when our love is cold and distant, that you are for us. And, and even when we are half-hearted and disobedient, Jesus, you're praying for us. And that our hold and our security does not depend upon the strength of our grip, but on the power of your embrace. So thank you for that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you, as the Old Testament book says, that we are all brands plucked from the burning. Hold us fast. Lord, we come before you now and we pray for our nation during these days of trial. We pray that as the people of God, we would be change agents and we would take a step into the light of Jesus as we pray for reconciliation with other peoples and racial reconciliation. We pray for our brothers and sisters who love Jesus, who are part of the African-American community, who are in a, 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 a very difficult place, that you would give them grace to speak Jesus, that you give us all, Lord, all people 
who name the name of Christ and know that you have come to declare justice, Jesus, that we would cry out for justice, that you would expose sinful people who are trying to just upset situations for their own well-being or their own advancement, that you would give us leaders who speak with grace and tenderness and brokenness. Lord, we need you every hour. Apart from your grace, we cannot do it. So we say with the psalmist, I will say to Adonai, my Jehovah, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So give us grace, Lord, to be your people. Please, let us be spokes, people of grace and dignity to those around us. To take a small step, but to go forward. Empower your church. Empower your church to speak the gospel and to speak the love and diligence of Jesus and to cry out for the oppressed. In Jesus' name, amen.